Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from Ford Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bolt, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. Okay, I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but... But we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickheads, you could say. It's just, it's, they're just, there's <laughs> good racing and I enjoy it. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to the program this week. Joining us to preview the Melbourne Formula 1 Grand Prix support races of V8 Supercars is the voice of V8 Supercars, Chad Nalan. Good evening, Chad. Hello, and uh, a very big hello to everyone listening in as well. Looking forward to this weekend, uh, our chance to impress all the head-on shows from Europe, I guess. Yeah, indeed. And uh, Ben Beasley from BAM Media. Good evening, Ben. Hey, Craig. Good to, good to talk to you. Yeah, and uh, interesting times too. Uh, Friday just, uh, well, the announcement certainly was the big announcement of 2015 so far, Ben. Shane Van Gisbergen going to Triple Eight, and uh, obviously it's not going to contail his overseas racing duties because on Monday he's announced as a McLaren factory driver as well. Yeah, in, in uh, the, with the Blancpain series and GT3 racing, which um, a heck of a you know few, few days for for Shane Van Gisbergen, that's for sure. I mean, certainly the Amongst the the top, really three or four drivers of, of 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 the series at the moment, and in terms of his talent, no matter if it's V8 supercars, GT3 style racing, drifting, or also on the weekend, he went and uh, got involved with some radio controlled cars. So he loves racing. It doesn't matter what it is, and um, and he is certainly a hot property, whether it's V8 supercars or European racing at the moment. Mm. For Shane, too, I guess that was important, Chad, that he did get a deal which would let him do other things because um, he said to me at Adelaide, he said, I just cannot understand why more people don't do more driving because that's what makes you better. Yeah, well, he's uh, definitely one of the new age kind of guys where they like to race as much as possible. I guess it's kind of uh, a bit of an American thing even. Those guys like jumping in as many different cars and just racing weekend to weekend. It's cool that, you know, Roland Dane's managed to work out a deal with him where he can keep going and doing this stuff because I know from a supercar fan point of view, you always love to see how you know our race car drivers compare to the others. Um, the question will be, for me, two things. One, you know, how is he going to handle the Red Bull corporate side of things? Because the Giz is very much a, a quieter style guy. He lets his, you know, racing do the talking for him. If he's having to do a lot of appearances and that sort of stuff, that might start to wear away at him a little bit. And um, also, it's a pretty untested team, the McLaren operation over there in Europe. I mean, they've stepped up to a newer model now over there, the 650S. Uh, they've got some pretty cool drivers. Like, I mean, it'll be you know, sharing cars with guys like Bruno Senna, but um, they're not—they're uh, not, they're not quite as successful as, say, like the Audis have been or the Mercedes team have been. So it'll be interesting to see what he can get out of the uh, McLaren over there. I reckon. Mm. And Ben, another interesting point with the whole Shane Van Gisbergen thing is, we're saying he's going to have to do a lot of Red Bull appearances, but there's no guarantee that for the first two years he's going to be driving a Red Bull. There's still quite a heavy possibility that he'll be in a a, a separately branded car to Craig and Jamie. Yeah, and even Roland has pointed towards that. He has said, 
At this stage, the announcement is that Shane is a contracted Triple Eight driver, um, you know, from next year. And when all the follow-up questions came, so is he in a Red Bull car? Um, where are you going to get the um, the, the license, the, the the wreck to run him, and some other things like that? And Roland just said, this announcement right now is to stop all the the rumours that we're going to start, obviously, and all those other questions will be answered throughout the year. So. Um, you know, I'm sure that if it was a straight-out deal that it was going to be in a Red Bull car, that would have been announced. So uh, there seems to be a, a difference of what might be happening there. I'm sure there's some other people in the wings that are going to be announced in due course of time. But um, I think from a Red Bull point of view, the key thing they've got is Craig Lowndes. I think Red Bull love Craig Lowndes. He is really the face of Red Bull. Even though Jamie has won championships, when Red Bull roll out some of their activity, it's pretty much based around Craig Lowndes and what he's doing. Jamie is also in there, but you know, if there is a face of Red Bull racing, that is uh, Craig Lowndes from a Red Bull corporate point of view. And Chad, how do you feel when you finish fourth in the championship and all of a sudden there's an expiry date on your time in the series? For the first time in probably, oh, I don't know, maybe seven years, he's finished worse than second. And now everyone's saying, "Well, he's got two years left." Yeah, I don't, I don't see that. I, I, ben hit the nail on the head there when they said that. You know, when he said Craig is the face of Red Bull racing in this country, um, you'd be crazy, absolutely crazy, to get rid of him. Just from the amount of bloody t-shirts he'd sell, <laughs> let alone the fact that the guy can still seriously race. So. I I can't even see him going too far. I mean, who knows what kind of form he'll be in when he's 42, 43 years old um, in a couple of years' time. But I can't see that relationship ending any time soon, to be honest. Mm. And interestingly enough, it raises another question with Shane Van Gisberg, and we're seeing with Dick Johnson Racing, Ben, they're rolling out major sponsors for limited number of races. And I'm quite interested to get your opinion because you spent time in in team land where your cars were branded two cars branded the same all year but it does seem to me that budgets these days and the amount of money you need to get from sponsors is going to lend itself particularly over the short term where finances are still pretty tight in corporate world we're going to see a lot more of this Penske model where guys are coming on the car for two or three impact events you know, they'll get Melbourne Grand Prix, they'll get another event as well on the Worth car, and then it'll be roll on to the next livery. Yeah, I think what tends to happen now is that it's part of a program. So whether it's a promotion, a direct sales promotion, or something like that, I think I've said this before, the season is, is so long that when it starts in February and ends in December, having a sponsor who wants the whole year and to do a whole activation for a whole year is pretty difficult to find these days. I think even when you have a look at teams that have the same sponsor for the whole year, they are rolling two or three other ideas in amongst that throughout the year as well. So when you have um, a model where what is clearly a Penske model that they work in the US, I mean, a lot of people think that um, Brad Keselowski runs the Miller car the whole year. Well, no, he doesn't. He runs the majority of the year as the Miller car. Likewise, Joey Logano is mostly the Pennzoil shell car. But even last weekend, uh, or this, the, the, the Worth deal with the Ambrose car coincides with Keselowski's car running Worth colours in the US as well. So that's where you know Penske have been very clever 
in aligning their business strategies and you have a look at really their partners in their business, um, in their heavy vehicle business, they're either companies that Penske actually owns or has an, a you know, very close commercial affiliation. He is able to, you know, what Roger Penske does is he's able to offer not just a race car opera, um, operation or opportunity, he, he also has the, the to, to look after as well. So you see that model. But then um, even with the Nissan cars, um, that uh, you saw Todd Kelly's car ran Pilatus and then also the um, other sponsors with James Moffat as well. And they were very much short-term, you know, they are sponsors who are going to be there for the whole season, but they get the primary branding for a certain number of, you know, events and then um, it, it allows them to give those guys extra exposure. Of course, every team would love to have one single sponsor, one single paint scheme, because if nothing else, it, it does cost the teams money every time they change them over. And if you have a look at uh, Ambrose, will roll out this weekend, and in Tasmania with a with a new race suit with Worth on it. You know, it's not like he is running a plain Penske branded race suit. Part of the deal is that all the crew members, you know, in Adelaide had shell gear on, so that's got to change over as well. So, whatever the money is worth and what it actually costs just to change over the, um, the, the uniforms and also the, the stickering on the car, you know, it, it's a big exercise every time we do that. So in terms of trying to raise enough money, it, it's difficult, it really is. Mm, and for yourself, Chad, you're going to be calling cars with different sponsors all year. It's going to make it a little bit harder for you this weekend. <laughs> it can't be the Shell Helix Dick Johnson Team Penske car rolling into Turn 1, can it? No, no, I guess that's uh, something to keep us commentators on our toes. But I guess on top of, you know, what Ben was saying, all the hype that gets, um, you know, around when someone does a, a livery launch at the beginning of the year, I guess the advantage of having, say, five to six rolling liveries throughout the year is you, you're always going to be finding yourself on, uh, you know, Speed Cafe's front page here and there on the v Supercars website just by doing different livery launches throughout the year. So it's a good way of keeping publicity going, but... Um, I think we are going to see more and more of it, and uh, I guess NASCAR are typically ahead of the game. This is all happening with them. You know, five years ago, six years ago, they did away with two car teams and one sponsor for the whole year. So um, that's right. I'll just have to uh, phone up on the local sponsors coming into uh, each race, but who knows? I'll probably change every five or six laps in the future. Yes, that's right. Uh, rolling signs like we see at the football. A break and then back with more here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to um, take the win off him. So, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Ben Beasley and Chad Nayland joining me. Craig Ravel and well we're talking about uh, liveries changing one thing that is going to be interesting to see is this weekend's Grand Prix because next year we are or I am 99.999% sure it's going to be a points paying race traditionally this event has been a test session a four-day test session Chad 
if we're going to see a change in focus where they're really going to look for meaningful data because it's going to be for the big points next year? Well, by all you know respects, it sounded like it was so close to being a championship round this year. Um, I mean, the teams take it seriously. It's not like they're going to try a little bit harder this year because next year it's going to be for points. Um, but you, I do find it funny that this happens to be one of those races where Red Bull doesn't exactly go all that well. Yeah, it just so happens to coincide that it's you know not worth any points. <laughs> I'd like to see exactly if the results would change had this been for points. But I don't know. I, for one, kind of like the idea of it being a non-championship round. Not for testing, not for anything else, just for the old school factor that it was a support race, you know, back in Adelaide or even when it was uh, port races for Indy before that became a championship round. Um, call me old-fashioned, I guess, but there's something quite romantic in having a non-championship round. You know, F1 used to have it back in the 70s, and uh, there's just something about it that I like, to be honest. The problem is teams were testing, Ben, and they weren't taking it seriously. It's got to be for points to make it worthwhile. I think one of the difficult things, too, is that you go from a championship round into a non-points-paying round, then down to Tassie for a championship round. You know, probably 10 years ago, the Grand Prix was actually the first event of the year, so it was easy to say, look, we're just here testing, unveiling the cars, all that sort of thing. But sort of where it's positioned at the moment, it's a bit difficult after you, you go for everything in Adelaide two weeks ago, and then you sort of come to, you know, a, a showpiece event and say, well, we're not really racing for points. So, you know, the, the interesting thing for me is that if it goes that way next year, are we still going to see three 20-minute or four 20-minute races? That really doesn't then fit with the mould of a championship round, in, in my opinion. And, you know, they had that situation uh, that two, three years ago when they ran in Abu Dhabi for the final time and they paid points, but the races were 10 laps in length. And then one of the races, you know, one of the cars went off. So it was like a six-lap race for points, you know, that's... You know, they're getting themselves into a situation when you're not the um, the main show. You know, suddenly you start to have to work within the Formula One time, which is fair enough. It's the, it is the Formula One event, but sometimes you know, you know, before the Formula One cars go out, there is a big time gap, so that if there is an incident in the race, you know, preceding the Formula One sessions, that it won't delay the Formula One session. So you wouldn't want to get to a situation where there was delays on the Sunday and it got to the V8 time and they sort of said, well, you're only going to get half your laps in if that. You know, that's, I think, where there'd be a problem next year. So I don't know. I remember in the late 80s in Adelaide, they ran 30, 35 lap, you know, touring car races, which were fantastic because they were like, they qualified the Formula One cars on a Saturday and the big afternoon sort of event was the touring car race. But they didn't run on Sunday then, that sort of thing. There's a lot to work out here. Um, and you just wouldn't want to have a situation, especially at a Grand Prix, where you say, we're finally paying points, and then the teams go, yeah, but then, you know, the race isn't that great, you know, because we don't get the laps. And then it sort of you know, brings the whole thing back down again. So, you know, there, there is a lot to work out here. Um, I think, as well, if they said this is going to be full championship, longer V8 races, I think it would be better for the event. So, um, you know... There's pros and cons either way. I also do like Chad's, you know, theory that you know a support race is a support race. It's not the main show. It's good to see them have a go. You know, in so many ways, you know, short races can be exciting, but then they're also are they reflective of the rest of the championship? So, 
yeah, there's a lot to think about. Yeah, and of course the championship is such a bitzer. There's no solid one format for the championship. So you could argue that, yeah, four, five, 20-minute races is able to be um, another format that's thrown in. But your problem always is someone wins five 20-minute races and someone wins Bathurst and they've got the same points for the weekend. It doesn't appear to be the same amount of work for the number of points that you've achieved. Yeah, I mean, that's really really my point. I mean, they've, they've got to get some consistency with the formats. Um, you know, there's even talk that, um, you know, after Adelaide, you know, is the, the, the two 125-kilometre races working to people like that, or they like the longer races. You know, the longer races, of course, bring in so much more strategy because they've got to stop, you know, at least twice in the race. Who goes long, who goes short in terms of their stints, and it all plays out. Unfortunately, with short races... It's so much dependent on qualifying, obviously, and then it's also so much dependent on who wins the race to the first corner. Then after that, well, does it settle down and is there really racing going on? Now, maybe when you do put points on the line, you know, the, the, the whole attitude will change. I mean, whereas right now, I could, go, I could do the big dive into the second corner, but, you know, it's not for championship points and all I'm going to do is create work for my boys if I crash the car. Is that all worth it? They're all the questions that, you know, end up getting getting asked when you don't have worth any points. Yeah, and of course, uh, it is a big, big television and it's a big, big crowd that you're racing in front of. So sponsorship-wise, and this is what uh, Tony got wrapped over the knuckles about when he pulled the V8s from the bill, it's a important race for sponsorship and for brand awareness, isn't it, uh, Ben? And that's why the V8s are at the Grand Prix. Yeah, and, you know, a few years ago, they got their own pit lane built, their own facilities. So everything's there. Everything, you know, they they just need to see if they can run some longer races and, and pay some points. Mm. Jed, who you've already highlighted the fact that Red Bull seemed to go missing at the Grand Prix. You're going to write them off this weekend? <laughs> Never, ever, ever write off Red Bull. Um, but... I, uh, the, the history books show that it's a Kiwi happy hunting ground over the last couple of years. So, Shane Van Gisbergen, Coulthard, and uh, also McLaughlin will be hot to trot, no doubt. Um, it'll probably suit the FGX a little bit, maybe, with the fact that the, it's got a few more fast-flowing corners, and that seems to be one thing that the FGX likes doing. So, um, that might be something to, to worry about, you know, Maybe even Ford could crack a, a pole position, which would be the first one in you know nearly 50 odd races. So that's all something to, to, to think about. But um, I'm also very interested to see how uh, Chris Piss is going to go in the, the second of the Volvos too, because uh, he's got a pretty cool opportunity here with David Wall stepping out. So um, I'll be very interested to see how Piss gets on. He's a Kiwi. He's in a Volvo, so maybe that could be the uh, the, the added link there. Yes, and of course. Uh, it... It was Scott McLaughlin who got the first win for Volvo at the Grand Prix last year. We need to take a break, but we'll talk more about those changes in the Volvo squad right after this. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. 
Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and we're unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Chad Nalen, Ben Beasley. And, uh, Ben, in- interesting point that uh, Chad did raise, that Pither is in at Volvo, and uh, it was, it was uh, the burn on David Wall's foot was a shocking one after Adelaide. But clearly it was, yeah. I mean, it was a big surprise that... Um you know, it was mentioned that he, you know, he had a burnt foot, and there's other drivers that, that have had that sort of injury coming out of Adelaide before in the last few years, but have been able to back up two weeks later. So it was obviously quite a bit more serious than what was um, made out to be. But um, as big a surprise as that was, was the naming of Chris Pitter. I mean, wow! And there's some other guys on on the sideline who would probably say, "Oh, you know, why didn't I get a chance?" But it's it's obviously a clear indication of of endurance uh, running for later in the year. And if there is a guy who says that the, that the Grand Prix is a test event, it's always been Gary Rogers. I can remember years ago when he pulled two of his cars when Garth Tander was in one of them, you know, on the second lap of the race and, and parked them. So, you know, he's done things in the past that, uh, you know, have always been outside the square. And if there's a guy in V8 Supercars who is outside the square, it certainly is Gary Rogers. <laughs> and, you know, calling Chris Pither into the team, you know, I don't think really anybody would have forecast that um, prior to the announcement coming out. Yeah, it, it was an interesting one. And, uh, of course, we ran David Walls uh, talking to us about his toe and he was hopeful that it would be right. But also in that interview, which I didn't play last week on the show, he was talking about looking forward to just getting those all-important lap times, uh, laps in the car because, Chad, he, there's a lot of expectation on, on David because of the success of... Scotty McLaughlin last year? Well, the Volvo is an absolute jet. I mean, we've proved that now. Um, There would be nothing that is different between Car 33 and Car 34. I mean, yes, if developments happen throughout the season, they're going to go and be bolted onto Car 33 first. But at the moment, you know, those two cars will be borderline identical. So everyone's going to jump on David Wall's results. Uh, They weren't flattering in Adelaide. Um, but, you know, you've got to give the guy a chance to at least cut some laps first. But if we're coming out of, say, Perth, which is a, tr- a track where Volvo's won before, and he's still finishing outside the 20, uh, man, he's going to get a hard time. And uh, if we get into the Enduros and Pitter's quicker than him, and, I mean, that was the case last year with Pitter and, and Dale Wood on some occasions too. Uh, he is a, uh, a very handy driver, Chris Pitter. And if he's wrangling some results this weekend out of the Volvo, that David Wall can't get, then it's it's still not going to look good. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, that seat is secure. It's just a matter of, um, you know, how much will the media jump down his throat if he can't start to get that thing winning. Uh, we, we threw an interesting question to Scott McLaughlin in, uh, in Adelaide. We said to him uh, in the press conference, do you think that, you know, is the Volvo a little bit like the Ducati where Casey Stoner was the only guy who knew how to win in it? But I guess, um, you know, Alex Primer got some speed out of the Volvo, so it's not quite as dramatic. But 
man, there's, a, there's definitely speed in the Volvo, and if Pizza manages to get speed out of it this, this weekend, then it'll all kind of look a bit bad for David Wall. Yeah, the way you said there's speed in the Volvo just reminded me there's money in the banana stand. Any, <laughs> anyone who's watched Arrested Development will know that reference. What? Well, I've asked uh, for Chad's tip for Melbourne. What about yours, Ben? Yeah, maybe, like you say, the, the, the Fords. And, and also, remember last year, Michael Caruso was very, very fast at that race meeting as well. And so we've had all these aerodynamic updates to a number of the, um, the leading, leading cars. And um, what that all means is that this is this is an aero track. You know, everyone's been saying this definitely is an aero track. So, if there's aerodynamic advantages for the for the Fords and the Volvos have been slippery and the Nissan have got the big wing on the back now as well, you know, maybe a guy like Moffat could step up, or um, David Reynolds, who's also stepped up to the FGX as well, because he's another guy who's got a point to prove. You know, coming into this season. Mm, yeah, it's it's going to be a tough one uh, to really pick the winner because you just don't know who is taking it seriously, and uh, it's yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if uh, the gears on the back of all these announcements this week is just going to come out and make a real statement. I've got a feeling that's going to happen because if there's one guy who jumps in a car and doesn't care at all about whether it's for points or not. He has to be the man. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that one pans out, Chad. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't think anything seems to concern the Giz. I mean, there could be an announcement that he's going to become bloody Prime Minister in New Zealand, and I think you get in and turn just as quick lap time. It's just bizarre how it doesn't matter what goes on, court cases, contract talks, this, that, the other, he just gets in and seems to get the job done. So... Um, he'll be as good as he would have been had there been no announcements this week, I reckon, which is, to be fair, very good. <laughs> yeah, indeed. A break and then more on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bought Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh... <laughs> Thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates to tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And And you're you're listening listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Chad Nayland, Ben Beasley and myself, Craig Ravel. Guys, a couple other stories. Erebus, they're giving up on Mercedes and AMG, Ben. They're going to go it alone. Hopefully something can happen by the time Gen 2 rolls around. Well, really, I mean, in the beginning, they had an involvement with AMG um, to get their program up and running. But you'd have to say for the last 12 or even 18 months, AMG really haven't been on the scene. You know, all the engine development, which was originally done in Germany, moved to the Yatla base a long time ago. You know, the AMG thing was as much about getting there technically and financially. Well, that didn't happen. It ended up costing, you know, those cars are clearly the most expensive ones to run in the championship. So at some point, you know, Betty's good feeling towards Mercedes, you know, can only go so far. So she's trying to 
you know, keep that going. But it's just not been in their their their, their thinking, AMG. What they do very well, you know, they've got a Formula One team that they support that doesn't do half bad in the World Championship. Their GT3 program is very good, and they've also just released a new model in that, so there's a concentration on that, of course. And then they're heavily involved in DT, which for all intensive purposes is, yes, it's the German Touring Car Championship, but it's the European Touring Car Championship. They need to sell cars in those markets. That's where their focus has to be. Yep, exactly. And uh, I don't think it's going to make one bit of difference to uh, the way Erebus run, but Chad, you might have a different opinion. Um, yeah, I just I get the feeling like um, kind of what Ben said. I mean, this is not really their playground. You know, that's for mine why they never really got enticed by the whole thing. Though they've got so much else going on in the world, and here is a good example of a manufacturer who has um, a GD3 operation or a GT operation that's um, going to take preference. I mean, they they directly sell cars to race teams out of that. You know, they have their AMG customer program, which works brilliantly off that. And we have had some AMG customer-style support go through Erebus, but it was never you know, quite like that because they never bought those cars off Mercedes. So it's um, it's disappointing that we could never marry that up. Um, maybe when the Gen 2 rules change, there might be something there that Mercedes thinks, okay, well, we might want to get involved now because it might suit a certain model or a certain engine type that they're trying to push. But, yeah, disappointing that we haven't managed to get it happening. Um, and hopefully Betty and co down there at Erebus will still be able to push on into the future and, uh, you know, present to awesome-looking race cars on the grid. Mm. Now, interesting, couple of other stories there, Ben. EJ Viso, we could see him back in Australia driving at Bathurst or in the Pertec Cup alongside Lee Holsworth in the Walkinshaw Performance number 18. I think EJ is very keen for it to happen and he took the chance to speak to a few of his former teammates whilst he was in, or former uh, yeah, teammates and colleagues from his uh, F3 and European open wheel days in James Courtney, Fabian Cotard and uh, the like. And, uh, well, it looks like there are some talks going away in the back offices. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard for guys like that. Of course they're all keen to do it. Everybody wants to come and do a specialty bathroom. But at the end of the day... Um, a local guy such as Lee, who's you know um, had you know three pretty tough years, as, you know, within the Erebus group, coming down, he's part of Walkinshaw, showing some speed. He doesn't want to be the one that says, "Look, I know this guy's done the Indy 500 and this and that and that sort of thing," but can he please go and co-drive with somebody else? He, Lee, would be saying, "Craig Baird, Craig Baird, Craig Baird, Craig Baird." I've worked with him for the last few years. Craig is certainly very good in Carrera Cup. He's not just doing Carrera Cup in Australia this year, he's doing Carrera Cup in Asia, so he's getting plenty of miles. He knows the circuits very well. EJ Viso has not driven Sandown, has not driven Bathurst, has not driven on the Gold Coast. There's no time for him to come up to speed, and as much as he might be a nice guy, I think I think Lee might be saying Craig Baird, Craig Baird, Craig Baird, but I think Craig Baird's actually already signed with Erebus for the Enduros this year, so um, I'm not 100% sure on that, but when I was speaking to people earlier in the year, I believe he was. But, Chad, your thoughts on getting EJ here? 
It's always cool to have uh, a bit of international flair. I mean, we heard names like, you know, Montoya and all these dudes getting floated around as potential Penty drivers. Um, this one definitely caught me off guard when I first <laughs> heard about it. Uh, but, I mean, realistically, it's a, it's a harsh thing to say. Realistically, you know, 5%, 10% at most of the uh, international drivers that rock up really give us anything to get excited about. I mean, we had the Xbox car with a couple of international guys, but they were at least in definitely Andy Prio's case, and Ekstrom's case, I mean, very good touring car drivers. Um, you know, EJ Viso is an open-wheel driver and a very good one, and also a stadium truck driver, <laughs> would you believe? But um, uh, I I just can't see him turning on the speed like a Sebastian Bordet did, you know? That's, the IndyCar guys that have had a crack at this haven't shown that much speed. Mm. The, the, the guy who was the absolute standout, which is who Chad just mentioned there, was was Matthias Ekstrom. He was something else. He is a guy who was clearly, you know, got any ability that he puts his, his backside in, he will be very fast, you know. And um, those guys are few and far between. If it was Matthias Ekstrom who we were having this conversation about, I'd be saying, yeah, absolutely, put the guy in. Mm. Yep, and... Then we talk about the lack of permanent circuits and an interesting conversation I had with uh, Eugene Arocca was uh, he's now named Ballarat as the third circuit that CAMs are working with to try and get up and running and Eugene was saying it's not unfathomable that it might actually be the host of the World Touring Car Championship. Well, if it can host the World Touring Car Championship, you think it's another track that might be in the frame for a V8 supercar round. Our out of Melbourne, it's a good location. Yeah, but to me, it'd be nice to see a, a decent circuit in that area. But we've got Winton, we've got Phillip Island, there is Sandown. You know, I think there's other areas in Australia where um, I'd like to see circuits in front of Ballarat. I mean, if they come up with the money and they come up with a proposal and it works, that's great. But, you know, uh, um, north of Sydney, I think the Hunter Valley is probably, you know, an area that is really crying out for, for what we're talking about here. You know, there's um, also the Toowoomba track is still very much, you know, um, getting some momentum. So what is really nice about it is that we're talking about some new racetracks because for, you know, a couple of years ago, and Cam's clearly identified it, they were going to run out of racetracks in this country. So, you know, it's good that they can concentrate on that that as a priority. You know, naming some events such as the World Touring Car Championship certainly gets garnered some attention, and that's also good as well. So, you know, if it comes off... Uh, who knows? But it's good that Cam is is really not just playing lip service to the fact of them saying that they want to get racetracks built in this country. Mm. Chad, uh, of course, Talon Bend, Toowoomba, Gold Coast, and Ballarat are now the four tracks that we know they're working hard on. But there are groups that do want to do some more work on the uh, central coast of New South Wales. And considering that you don't have a lot of high quality circuits in New South Wales. It's obviously a big market that they need to work on. Yeah, and getting government money in New South Wales is going to be very difficult. I mean, they're very committed to the Sydney Olympic Park project. Um, but having said that, the government's also been quite generous in helping uh, the Australian Race Drivers Club to uh, turn around Sydney Motorsport Park as well. So squeezing more money up for another track seems to be a big ask. I mean, <laughs> we've got the second Bathurst track, which apparently is going to host MotoGP one day and all that stuff too. But um, I guess one thing that um, is positive about it is, you know, James Warburton in that press conference and uh, uh, clips last year 
were saying that you know Vet Supercars will always be very supportive of um, anyone who wants to make sure that there are more permanent circuits built in the country because everyone's very critical that you know street circuits and they don't care about other forms of motorsport. So I guess um, out of the shadow of all this money being spent on uh, street circuits, it's definitely positive that these other circuits are happening. I mean, um, I'm probably a bit biased because I'm originally from Perth. I'd love to see a bit more happen over on that side of the country as well. There was rumours that we were meant to be getting a track down near Bunbury 10 years ago and it was going to run um, like Formula Nippon or something crazy like that. So uh, that never eventuated. I think they cleared the land for it and everything and it never really happened. So, hey, the more the merrier. If Ballarat's going to end up with one, then cool. Um, World time, uh, World time attack. Uh, World Touring Car Championship's a bit of a stretch maybe, but... It'd be very, very cool if we could make it happen. Mm. All right. Uh, don't get uh, Ben started on the fact that it's a year ago since we had the last State of the Union addressed by the CEO. Um, I know that <laughs> fires him up every time. And he was noticeably missing. We needed to get Ben on the show and, and have him call for it again this year like he had to last year. A break <laughs> and then a final thought after this. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question... Email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two laps to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. A final thought, Chad Nalen. Uh, yeah, I guess just uh, looking forward to another big weekend. It's, um, I'm going to give this one a miss this weekend. I'm going to be watching it all on telly for a change, which is uh, actually kind of nice, I guess. So I'm um, just looking forward to having one of those good old-fashioned weekends where you can have a beer on the couch and watch uh, motorsport on the telly. <laughs> ben Beasley. Yeah, um, I will go to the race. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I mean, I, I hope, you know, there's a lot of attention to this race, you know, the Grand Prix event overall. And Melbourne, Dan Ricciardo is clearly not just the, uh, the flavour of the, the time at the moment amongst motorsport fans, but sports fans. I mean, you are seeing a lot more column inches in terms of Formula One. And although, you know, we talk mainly about V8 supercars, I think that if Dan Ricciardo can continue his upward spiral, that will generate interest in motorsport which will hopefully see some more dollars come into V8 supercars, the sponsors get back, the fields grow, and we get back to that situation, you know, where, you know, we've got too many cars wanting to compete in V8 supercars. So it, it is, a, you know, it's not all going to happen this weekend, but if Dan can, you know, continue um, being Mr Popular, keep smiling, maybe those Mercedes will, um, you know, cook their electric systems like they did in Canada, and then he, he wins in, uh, you know, motorsport, he could be, be doing the biggest... Uh, kick uh, for motorsport that you've ever seen. Mm. Well, my final thought is I'll be interested to see how the Grand Prix goes simulcast on Fox and on 10. It was interesting to see how the engagement was with V8 Supercars at Clipsal. Will we see something similar with the Grand Prix coverage going the same way? We'll find out next week when we return on Inside Supercars. Ben Beasley, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Greg. And also to Chad Nalen, enjoy the weekend on the couch. Thank you very much.
very much. I will. Uh, just actually further to your point there, if um, if Matt White and Mark Weber end up doing a fair bit of the commentary work as well, which I think might be happening, that'll uh, make it quite interesting with the simulcast as well, which which commentary will people want to be listening to across the weekend? Mm, yes, because I think it's the uh, it's the Sky commentary on Fox, which is the uh, because they're showing every race, they're the only commentators that do it in English every weekend, so you won't chop and change there. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.